This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. Helen Farmer with you on today's episode, a bit of a property special. We were broadcasting live from Reform Social and Grill, catching up with House and House, talking about the Emirates Living Neighbourhood, some of the most popular districts in Dubai. But why? Can you still bag a bargain? Short-term versus long-term investments. The text lines were open. And we were talking all things food ahead of Hops on the Lake, down from Carnosaur on hand. We talk about barbecue season and what's on the menu this weekend plus it was property lawyer jasmine on hand as we talked about tricky tenants uh, expat wills and more essential listening if you are looking to get your admin in order and we were also marking eating disorder awareness week we had both a leading psychologist and a mum joining us talking about the approach you should take if you are worried about yourself or someone in your life and how there is light at the end of the tunnel Get ready for one of the busiest hours on your radio. It is the legal clinic. We can talk property law. We can help with expat law. What do I mean by that? We're talking wills, inheritance. We need some clarification. We need some expert invitation, invitation, information. Jasmine Stevenson is here from Kashwari Law Firm. We loved chatting last time, Jasmine. It was it was incredibly busy, and I'm anticipating another hour. Um, how are you today? Yeah, very well, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, I mean, we're sitting, we're having some snacks. You know, life is good at reform, and I know just how busy you are, so thank you for taking time out. As I said, no already loads and loads of messages. Um, I'm wondering if we can perhaps help out lots of people with some key information, which is, do I need a will? Can you break it down for us? Some of the common questions and maybe misconceptions that you hear. Sure, yes. So one of the things that we advise for expats who are living in the UAE is to technically opt out of Sharia law because anybody who is basically from the UK or from anywhere else outside, they will automatically be given a Sharia law if they own property here, if you have children here. So the best option is to have a UAE-based will, which you can literally decide who takes your assets by choice. If you don't have the will, Sharia law automatically applies, which is obviously really beneficial in some instances, but you can't actually choose specifically who gets certain assets. So if you wanted your wife to have 100% of your real estate, for example, you would need a UAE will that opts out of the Sharia rules to ensure that your wife takes 100% or your children equally of um, equal gender take 50-50. So you can be super explicit in terms of your hopes and intentions, but that piece yes. of paper has to be in place, otherwise yes. the default does come into play. That's correct, yes. And it also has to be notarised as well by one of the competent authorities. Competent authorities? Yes. I've had questions about costs as well. Sure. And that's changed quite a bit over the last few years. It used to be kind of DIFC or, or nothing, really. Yes. Would you mind kind of breaking it down a little bit in terms of timelines, costs involved, whether that's you know, legal fees or things you can do yourself, Jasmine? Sure, yes, definitely. So in regards to the cost, the UAE has been amazing with some reforms that have really made it easy for expats to get a will for a simple amount of money. Nice and easy, we can register with the ADGM, the Dubai Courts, DIFC, all sorts of jurisdictions which will have essentially the same effect. In terms of costs, the I mean the cheapest we offer yeah, <laughs> in terms of costing is around 6,000 dirhams and, and we also have an offer on always with around 20% off so it's quite reasonable. And would um, that be for yes. one individual or would that be kind of like a mirror will situation? Yeah, for one individual person. Each person needs their own individual will so you can mirror your husband's or your partner's or your family members in 
information, but you need your own specific will in your name to be stamped and attested. Okay. So the additional cost comes from a few court fees, some translation fees for actually making sure the document is valid and legal for use. Here's a good question that's come in from June on 4001 saying, how do you update your will if you have children or you have another child? Do you get charged for every amend? Sure, yes. Yeah. So we have a set amount where you charge for amendments, which is actually normally paid to the court. It's around 500 dirhams. So we always advise you to add on, you don't have to add on assets because your real estate and your will covers a lifetime of assets as you sell and change. Otherwise, it would be really expensive to keep changing yeah, them. Yeah, like I've just bought a car, I've just sold yeah, a car. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So really it's nice a nice new house right now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a lifetime will. But if you change your beneficiaries, if you want, if you fall out of someone, <laughs> just in mm-hmm. case you want to change your mind. Yeah. Well, and, and also, you know, we, there's no getting away that we live in a really transient part of the world. And we're talking about guardianship for children, you know, who, sure. who we might choose to look after our children whether yes. you know it's whether it's short you know short term interim or indeed long term mm-hmm. they might leave dubai or relationships change so amends can be made on guardianship documents as yeah, well yeah most definitely we always advise people if you have real estate over 10,000 dirhams in the bank and especially if you have children to have a uae will to protect your assets so we always advise people to have at least two temporary guardians which would be in the event of an emergency not just death that somebody is legally assigned to go and collect your children from school mm-hmm. you know that person needs to be in in place and it needs to be a legal person because you can never know what will happen so we always advise for somebody on the ground in Dubai to be that person go-to person who can look after your children and think like that for long-term guardians we always advise maybe family members it, they can be based anywhere in the world but somebody who could get to Dubai prove you know guardianship through your document and that can be somebody yeah doesn't need to be on the ground so we always advise together and cover all aspects hope that helps guys as I said that's kind of summing up a lot of the messages we've had on the text line and on social today Jasmine Stevenson today with us from Kashwani Law Firm. And we can talk property as well. We've had questions about tenants. We've had questions about, oh, here's an interesting one we're going to come to next. Um, saying, can a building suddenly change the rule about not allowing pets? Been in our apartment for five years and just had an email. Tristan, we're going to be helping you out. Dubai Eye 103.8 presents an array of independent expert opinions and does not advise one particular view. Always seek independent legal advice, which considers your own personal circumstances. Talking law on the show today, joining us from Kashwani Law Firm, we've got the fantastic Jasmine Stevenson. We've just been talking about expat wills, inheritance, but we can talk property too. And I'm pretty sure that's what's going to be keeping us busy between now and five o'clock, Jasmine. Let's go to the text line. Um, Anonymous messages coming in. That's absolutely A-OK. One saying, our landlord has not given us a notice to vacate but when we renovated in january he added to the contract he will not renew again is that legal okay sure in terms of the non-renewals you really have to have a look at the contract normally you cannot enforce that to be the only way to evict somebody is via a correct legal notice that is given within 12 months but if you want to send over the documents to us i'll have a look at them for you and then come back to you and let you know where you stand with your strengths legally so it's not a case of kind of sticking a little asterisk addendum in a in a contract it, you know there is a, a, a process and That's indeed correct, yes. reasons that people need to provide to most their definitely tenants. yeah and okay. a legal standard yes speaking of which um again anonymous message saying i'm a tenant who's leaving a townhouse that i've been in for five years there's obviously some wear and tear with any property from it being new to five years later. My landlord is expecting complete maintenance and return as new. I'm completely willing to pay for any damages. There aren't any. I've looked after it like it's my own. Landlord wants me to leave early 
so we'll also owe me a few months in rental back, but I'm worried going to try and take the deposit and some of the rental to basically do up his house again. Is there any law protecting my rental owed and the deposit? Yes, most definitely. So normally in this situation, if you're leaving early in the benefit of the landlord, we would advise that you do a settlement with them, which covers all of these aspects. Secondly, you can actually go down to the RDC of your tenancy contract and you can take an actual literal report from the RDC for a few thousand dirhams that will check the apartment, check the villa and let you know exactly what the damages are if there are any. They will literally write that down on paper so that later on, once you've moved out, somebody can't just, you know, factuate the fact that there's damages and mm. this is going to be the cost, which could be completely random. Mm. That's the best way to protect yourselves. But it's also something we can guide you on and you can do in person if you want to drop us an email. Um, uh, Leonie's saying, do I need to check with my landlord if I want to replace a manky old bathroom in our villa? Now, I think this is an interesting question because a lot of people, because of the raising, um, rising rent prices, are staying put yeah. and saying, do you know what? The thought of trying to find somewhere new at this price point is just not happening. I'd rather stay where I am and maybe take a bit of a hit on a renovation. Sure. You know, I'm thinking about putting some floors in our villa, for example. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm not, I'm never, as long as I'm in Dubai, I'm not leaving our home. <laughs> <laughs> don't make me move again. We won't let you get, get evicted, don't worry. So Le- Leonie's, yeah, thank goodness, I've got some people in my corner. Um, Leonie's saying about, you know, do I need to check get permission from the landlord about replacing a bathroom? Sure, yeah, most definitely. I mean, technically it's not your property. So first of all, you would definitely need permission. You would also need an NOC from the developer and the landlord to do the works. And lastly, you just need something in written confirmation because you just never know what can come out from that. If there's damages done to the bathrooms and it affects you later on. Mm -hmm. So you definitely need written confirmation to proceed. Okay, good luck, Leonie. All the very best. Send me your Pinterest board. And if anyone's got some good flooring companies, send me that as well please 4001 we're talking law through until five dubai i 103.8 presents an array of independent expert opinions and does not advise one particular view always seek independent legal advice which considers your own personal circumstances genuinely worried we're going to run out of time for today's show because we've had so many messages um jasmine stevenson is with us today from kashwani law firm are you ready yes ready to go are you steady okay let's do this (laughs) um we've had a message saying um can a building suddenly change the rules regarding not allowing pets we've been in our apartment for five years we have a lovely dog and just got an email out of the blue that no animals will be allowed to live there from june the first is this a way to drive out residents so they can put up prices is this legal that's from tristan Sure, it's a bit of a tricky one, that one. We would need to have a look at the original SPA from the developer to see what rules they can change. I know it has happened to a few clients in the past and it's a little bit tricky to fight, but definitely if they send me over by email any documents they have, then we'll look into it for them. So the original and and then the the update as well? Yes, most definitely. We'll see what we can do or if we can try and get a copy of the original from someone, we'll give them some good sound advice. Okay, Tristan, all the very best. You sound like an amazing pet parent. Uh, Stick together. Um, No name saying... We're looking at buying a villa, but the neighbours are already putting me off. Um, they've been very loud both times we viewed. The gardens are separated by a wall. Any advice on dealing with this now before we pay any money? 
Yeah, it's a bit tricky, that one, to be honest, because you really can't control, you know, human behaviour. Um, normally, when there's noise complaints, you can contact the municipality, you can contact RDC, and obviously, if it gets into a serious situation, you can also call the Dubai police. They will come out and they will assess the situation. But at this stage, if they're already putting you off, it's going to be a risk that this could be ongoing, unfortunately. Yeah, the signs might be there. Yeah. Good luck with whatever you decide. And just some quick advice. Mm. No knocking on doors or going into people's properties without permission, because obviously that can cause a trespass uh, complaint. Yeah. Okay, good advice there. Um, no name on this one, but I think it sums up actually a number of messages we've had saying, what are the circumstances that a landlord can issue me um, a vacation notice? So many landlords are trying to get rid of existing tenants to benefit from a new tenant's higher rent due to the inflated prices rather than renew. So would you mind sure. breaking that down for Jasmine? The the, the legal reasons and the process yes. that need to be followed. Yes, most definitely. So, yeah, we're seeing a lot of people receiving legal notices or landlords trying to push them out because they're on a lower rent. And um, basically, that that is not legal. You can only legally evict a tenant for three reasons. The main ones being that you're going to sell the property and also or that you're going to move into the property yourself, which has to be the truth. It can't be complete. It can't be made up, to be honest, just to get a tenant out. Mm -hmm. The third option that is quite recent in the laws is for renovations. If a property is really under, you know, underdeveloped, there's damages, things like that. To, to the point where those renovations could not be done with someone living in that property. Exactly, exactly. But you're looking at a lot older buildings in those sorts of uh, mm -hmm. circumstances when you're making that sort of claim. So realistically, whenever a landlord wants to evict you, they have to give you a 12 months written legal notice. And that notice has to be not only in Arabic, but also in your language, because you have to understand it. And you have to be able to understand exactly what it says. So it should be in the language of wherever your passport is from, what's commonly spoken there. The next thing is that after the 12 months, well, before at the time of service, it has to be sent by the Dubai courts or wherever your jurisdiction is. And you have to physically receive it on your door. Um, as well as potentially by email, uh, you know, just somebody sending you a 12-month eviction notice via email is not valid. Or sending you a WhatsApp. Yeah, or sending you a WhatsApp is most definitely not valid. So you have to receive that document. It's a court notice. It's put on your door, and that then gives you the 12 months to vacate. Now, uh, Sorry, I just want to ask a, yes. a question that we've had a, a few times before, and I can't remember the answer to it. So... Is that 12 months from when the notice is served yes. or from when the tenancy runs out? It's from when the notice is served. So when your tenancy runs out, normally you have to auto-renew your tenancy. You can't do it just for three months. It's the standard UAE law, which is 12 months. And then if you choose to move out after the 12 months, then you get your pro rata rent back. Okay. That's an issue that comes up. But what really happens in when, when that 12 months has passed is that if you are in a situation where A, you can't move, or you do not believe the landlord is actually evicting you for true reasons, the landlord can only remove you with a court order. At the end of the day, a legal notice is just a piece of paper. It do, it cannot throw you out of your home and into the streets. So if a landlord, you can obviously always negotiate with your landlord if you need more time potentially. If the landlord really wants to evict you, he has to take a court order against you and that can take some time. It can be costly. That's exactly what we're going to be talking about next because we've had a message from a listener who's on that other side, a landlord who's following things by the book and that cannot get that tenant out. Stevenson speaking to us from Kashwani. Dubai Eye 103.8 presents an array of independent expert opinions and does not advise one particular view. Always seek independent legal advice which considers your own personal circumstances. It is always a very, very busy show when legal eagle Jasmine Stevenson is in the studio. Um, we've been talking there about 
you know, protecting renters' rights when they're served notice yes. um, to, to leave a property. But we'll look at the other side now. We've had a message here on 4001 from the landlord side saying, we served our tenants a one-year court notice with intent to sell. The date of eviction has recently passed and the tenant hasn't moved out. And upon spec- inspecting, it has shown no intention to pack up. If we now take on court fees, what do we do? What do we get out of it? He knows the process is long and we'll buy him a few month, extra months. He'll probably move out on his own time, but can we claim anything from him other than up-to-date rent? Are there any other penalties? As landlords who've done everything by the book, we're feeling quite powerless with nothing to gain. Sure, it is really a tricky one when you are a genuine landlord who is actually actioning the laws correctly. Um, what I would say is that there, it is a bit awkward. It does take time because at the end of the day, to evict someone, it is a court case. It can be costly and it does take some time. It's a proper process and the same process applies to any civil case in the UAE. But what I can say, if they want to get in touch with us, we do offer pro bono at Kashwani Law Firm. So if you want to come forward if it's a genuine case and you and you do need the property back and you're not just getting rid of your tenant because mm-hmm. you want to put the rents up, we'll definitely offer you a pro bono She'd option. Be able there. to sniff out any nonsense, but you sound like a like a good genuine landlord. So we're happy to connect you. If you want Jasmine's details, you can just send me the word law. Um, a couple of questions that have come in for you. We're this, we've just got two minutes left. Saying, I've recently renewed my tenant's contract. In the renewal, we've mentioned that the contract is non-renewable. Is that sufficient notice the tenant to vacate the property before the next renewal? Um, and second question, the property agency, which is managing the property, is charging the tenant a thousand dirhams on renewal. Is it fair for the tenant to pay the renewal fees, fees for every renewal? So starting one, we actually had touched on this earlier. Sure. Um, is this an adequate way to serve notice? No, you can't just write things down and hope it's going to be <laughs> enforceable. You still have to do the 12 months legal notice via the Dubai courts. It has to be done properly. Otherwise, legally, you cannot claim your property back in 12 months. And question two, the property agency is charging a thousand dirhams for every renewal. Is that fair? I believe so, because normally the agents actually have to take some time in renegotiating the rent, doing the tenancy contract for you, picking up the checks. They obviously deserve to be paid for their time. So mm. I would say yes, uh, it's correct to give them a thousand dirhams. It's the standard fee. Um, Chloe, can I have one more minute? One minute. Okay, right. <laughs> I just come in saying last year my rent was raised by five thousand dirhams, even though we were calculated that I was paying higher than I should. Landlord gave me a rental valuation certificate that was dated and set at 85,000. This year, he's raised it another 9,000, has applied another certificate for 100,000. However, the valuation date on the certificate is exactly the same as last year's. Is that normal? Okay, all right, that sounds a bit suspicious. Mm, (laughs) I think we'd have to have a look at the documents. If you ever have a dispute about anything in your tenancy contract, the RDC is there for you to go to as a layman in person without a lawyer and actually ask them these questions. So you don't necessarily need to pay for legal advice. You can go to the RDC, present them the documents, and if it's anything that needs to be questioned and decided by an RDC committee, then you can pay a small fee, have that opened, and only they can tell you if it's correct or not before you sign and agree to anything. You are such a superstar. Thank you. I should just say, these are all coming in in real time. Jasmine is not prepped on the messages on 4001. So (laughs) absolute kudos to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as you said, we're happy to share your email address. We do some pro pro bono work, but also can take people moving forward if they need any advice. Thank thank you so much. Dubai Eye 103.8 presents an array of independent expert opinions and does not advise one particular view. Always seek independent legal advice which considers your own personal circumstances. I feel a bit of a responsibility to say maybe something of a trigger warning for the the content of the next hour and I say that in the best possible way but I just want to make sure that you know 
We are going to be talking about Eating Disorder Awareness Week and after half past speaking to a mum whose teenage daughter has battled and we are on hand to take your questions, whether that is from, of course, the family side, but also the expert side as well. Um, I'm so, so delighted to welcome back to the show uh, Dr. Victoria from SAGE. She's a psychology lead um, and she's also um, the Eating Disorder Service Lead at SAGE Clinics. Decades of experience um, and I'm, I'm really, really grateful to have you today. How are you, Dr. Victoria? I'm very good. Thanks very much for having me here. Now, I can. I really want to unpack this kind of in, in the most sensitive and helpful way as possible. Um, and I wondered if we could perhaps start by talking about definitions and if, if they're useful. So when we're talking about eating disorders or even disordered eating over the course of the next hour, would you mind unpacking that a little bit for us? Absolutely. So I think one of the things we want to hold in mind is that it depends on the individual whether they find a label, a diagnosis helpful or not. Mm. Often, because eating disorders are such severe mental illnesses, it is helpful for us to distinguish them and to explain the risks and what an eating disorder means. Um, we do see, however, eating on a continuum, so we can also see disordered eating. And this is where the eating may not reach uh, the threshold for a clinical diagnosis, but may still be causing that problem, that person quite a lot of problems. So that might be things like restricting their eating, cutting out certain food groups, or having lots of rules around eating. Can I ask you a question? I don't mean to sound blunt or ignorant, but do you feel like anyone has got a truly healthy relationship with food? Are we all on something of a continuum? Okay, so we are all on a continuum, but I am a big believer in moderation. Mm. So actually, as long as we see food as part of our lives, part of our social lives, something that nourishes us, something that we enjoy, you know, food is great uh, and it can hold many great memories for us. So I think for me, that's a healthy relationship with food. I think it's quite normal for anyone at any time to think, oh, I ate a bit much there or, you know, perhaps over Christmas, you know, or a holiday, my eating hasn't been as healthy as it can be. Mm. But what we want to have is that broad, balanced perspective. No food is a sin or banned. I think as a, as a parent, it's something I'm really conscious of um, in terms of not passing on my own body and eating issues. You know, it's, it's something that I'm really, really, especially having girls, I, I, I worry about it a lot. Um, and we're going to be talking about, I'm sure, role of social media. I'm just praying that's going to go away in the next few years so my, my kids aren't, aren't privy to that. Um, but I wanted to also ask you, Doctor, a little bit about some of the myths and misconceptions. And that might be through so-called experts on social media. It might be um, misconceptions that come into clinic with you know, parents, with patients. Is there anything you'd like to address? There are so many myths and misconceptions. I think one of the biggest ones is that you have to be underweight to have an eating disorder. Actually, only 6% of people with eating disorders are underweight. And that also leads into the belief that you can tell if someone has an eating disorder just by looking at them. Mm. So absolutely, what I would really highlight is you can't tell by looking at them. And many people with an eating disorder will be of a normal weight or um, above normal weight. So what are some of the signs and symptoms? And we are going to be talking about, you know, teenagers in particular after half past. But, you know, as parents, if it's not this idea of drastic weight loss, of, you know, unhealthy BMI, as useless as that is, um, what are some of the things, the behaviours that we can be tuned into? Yeah. So I think we want to take a broad perspective. Of course, there are behaviours around food. So um, the person may be eating more in secret, eating alone, making excuses to avoid meals. They may be disappearing after, to the bathroom after eating where they may be inducing vomiting. Um, they may be exercising more. 
But we may also find that the person is asking for more reassurance around eating or expressing guilt. We're also going to see changes in mood and personality. So often um, the person may have become more moody, isolate themselves more. So often, you know, parents and family members will talk about just a change in personality. I've lost my, my daughter or my son. And we will see some physical changes. So in females, we're going to see people maybe losing their periods. Um, but also we might see weight loss or even just uh, a lot of weight fluctuation if the person has perhaps more of a binging and purging presentation. Dr Victoria Mountford is with us today, psychology lead and eating disorder service lead at Sage Clinics. Kind of curious to get a bit of understanding about prevalence of eating disorders here in the UAE next. Um, and of course, the text lines are open. Uh, we've had one here about, is there any link to ADHD and disordered eating? Um, what can trigger someone going back to an eating disorder? Uh, we are going to be talking about Eating Disorder Awareness Week through until three o'clock today. This content is for informational purposes only. If you would like to seek medical treatment, please contact a certified healthcare provider for personalised advice and diagnosis. Joining us this hour, we've got Dr. Victoria Mountford, clinical psychologist. She's from the UK, but is practicing here in the UAE at SAGE, where she is a psychological lead and indeed the eating disorder service lead at SAGE clinics. Um, Dr. Victoria, I wanted to ask you about prevalence um, and I guess types, and I use types and kind of, you know, the finger quote, um, of eating disorders as we, as we mark Eating Disorder Awareness Week. W- would you mind just highlighting some that maybe are coming into clinic? Okay, so within the UAE, um, we are still building up the data. We don't know exactly the numbers, but what we're looking at looks to be similar to the West or even higher. So within the clinic, we see a whole range of presentations uh, from people with anorexia. So this is where the person is significantly underweight, they're restricting. We also see people with bulimia nervosa. So this is where someone is binging, losing control of what they're eating, eating large amounts of food and often feeling very guilty about it. And then afterwards trying to compensate by purging, using laxatives and so on. Within the UAE, I think we see high rates of binge eating disorder. And this is something that's less well known about. So someone with binge eating disorder will still consume large amounts of food, Um, often in secret, often with a sense of shame, but they don't engage in the same compensatory behaviours like vomiting or using laxatives. And so often, I think with binge eating disorder, people don't recognise it as a disorder. Mm. They tend to think, oh, I must have poor willpower or poor control. And actually, we have kind of an equal gender ratio between men and women with binge eating disorder. That's interesting. Is that not the case in other types? So with uh, anorexia and bulimia, we estimate about 25% of sufferers are male. What we often know is that um, men may be reluctant to come forward because Mm. of shame or stigma around having a a female disorder, but also that doctors are less likely to recognise this and diagnose it as well. That's interesting, which makes this Awareness Week even more significant. Absolutely. Um, What about ages and stages? Um, We've had a question here saying, what can trigger someone going back to anorexia? My wife had it as a teen and is worried about getting pregnant and gaining the weight, but I don't know what's quote-unquote normal. So in terms of demographic... Um, you know, teenagers had always felt like a, you know, a real kind of difficult stage in many, many ways. And we see often a spike there. But can you ha- get an eating disorder or indeed can it reoccur at any other age? 
Absolutely. So we can see eating disorders throughout the lifespan. And I will definitely be working with people in their 50s, in their 60s. But you're right, pregnancy is a common time for an eating disorder to reoccur if someone previously had one. And that makes a lot of sense because we know that both women with and without eating disorders will experience a lot of change in their body, possibly feel quite out of control, uh, have some excitement, but also some anxieties about becoming a mum. And also we know there's a lot of pressure from society, social media, ah, about the, the changes that happen to your body during pregnancy. And then the changes after, the dreaded bounce-back chat. So what about safeguarding if, if you have had a history of an eating disorder at these times that where you know it, it can flare up? So that's a really good point. What we always talk with our patients about before we finish treatment is what are your early warning signs? And your eating disorder is a little bit like your Achilles heel. But the good thing is that now you know that. Mm -hmm. So if you're going into a time of stress or change, you want to be looking out for, am I experiencing more thoughts about my shape or my weight? Am I beginning to control my eating a little bit more? Am I feeling more anxious in general? And sometimes I have pregnant women who have had a history of eating disorder and they come and talk to me, you know, at some stage in their pregnancy because they just really want to protect themselves mm -hmm. against the risk of developing an eating disorder during or post-pregnancy. Dr. Victoria with us today from Sage Clinics. We are going to be speaking to um, a mum after half past. And if you want to share your story um, or indeed you've got any questions, you can, of course, reach out. No name on this one. And you can be anonymous, as I said earlier, saying, is there any link to ADHD and disordered eating? Worried about our 11 year old who is overweight and compulsively overeating. Would that considered to be like a comorbidity or, or a potential, you know, danger? Absolutely. So, no, we know that... Um, if people are neurodivergent, so maybe ADHD or autism, there are links to eating disorders. So ADHD in particular, uh, we can see links with a more binge eating presentation and as your caller mentions, possibly being overweight. And this is through the pathway of difficulties with impulse control. Mm. Similarly, uh, for people with, who are on the autistic spectrum, uh, we may also see a greater risk of them developing an eating disorder, possibly because of sensory issues around food or possibly because of issues around routine um, and so on. Thank you for those questions and really hope you and yours are well. Um, Dr. Victoria with us through until three o'clock. As I said, we're going to be catching up with mum, Sarah, whose teenage daughter has been battling anorexia and finding out a little bit about their experiences in the family, her words to other parents as well. This content is for informational purposes only and does not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Something of a trigger warning. We've had some um, really interested and interesting messages we're talking about eating disorder awareness week and joining us on hand is the psychology lead and the eating disorder service lead at sage clinics dr victoria mountford we've also got mum sarah um whose daughter's now 14 with anorexia and is coming to the end of her treatment um sarah thank you so much for being with us today um why was this something that you wanted to share your story about can you tell us a little bit more i think um when victoria approached me and asked me to do this um I ran it past my daughter first um, and she was so, so happy for me to do it. Um, she thinks it's so important to raise awareness. Mm -hmm. And I think as we're coming, um, I feel like there's some light at the end of this tunnel now uh, for us as a family. Um, so it's a perfect opportunity to, um, to let others know that there is hope um, 
because when you're in the middle of it, it can feel like um, it can be really brutal. So no way out. Yeah. Where did it start then, or when did it start? Should I say? You're saying you know it feels like you were, you know, coming to the end and it's you know getting to a really positive place for your daughter and, and you guys as a family. But can you take us back and maybe some of the signs you thought maybe something wasn't right? Yeah. So I think if I could give one message to all parents it's to listen to your gut um you know your child better than anyone else um and I think for me the turning point was when um I noticed my daughter was restricting she was looking at packages accounting calories uh she'd always loved food always um was never a fussy eater ate everything I've got two older boys and um they yeah they're quite fussy eaters um she never was uh she started skipping meals uh that was the first thing I noticed at school and I remember I think at the point where I called up one of her friend's mums and I asked her if uh she was concerned about her daughter bringing back lunches back from school and she was like it's just a phase all the girls are doing it um, at school and I remember ending that conversation and just I just had this niggling feeling that that was not the case for my daughter. How old was she at that point Sarah? She was 12 I believe she was 12 yeah. So this is the complication I think for a lot of people because we have got so much awareness around food about nutrition about you know know what you should be eating you know all of this but when it starts tipping into you know, controlling thoughts and, and changing behaviours. Mm-hmm. And how how did that progress then from that point? Um, she got to the point where she was going down to one meal and that was a very, very small wh- meal. It happened very, very quickly with my daughter. Mm. Um, she, uh, the, the other thing I wanted to say was uh, that in our case, it wasn't about food. I think it was... There'd been a series of events that had happened in her life and it was about controlling. Mm-hmm. The only thing she could control in her life at that time. Um, and then uh, I just... I, I had a word with um, her father, uh, friends, uh, family, and raised my concerns. And everyone was worried at this point. She was... Uh, she went from 64 kg to 43 in a few weeks. Gosh. Um, so then we went and uh, seeked help. So and I think yeah. that I think that's the other really important takeaway from today is to know that what help is at hand and also how to get it. So that's what we're going to talk about next. Dr. Victoria with us today from Sage. You know, if you are starting to notice, you know, red flags and signs, and you know, listening to that gut as Sarah was just talking about, what next? When it comes to either broaching that conversation with your child, your partner, your friend, your you know your parent, and then getting the help that you need. Dubai Eye one hundred three point eight presents an array of independent expert opinions and does not advise one particular view. Always seek independent legal advice, which considers your own personal circumstances. Joining us today, Mark Eating Disorders Awareness Week, Dr. Victoria Mount for the Psychology Lead and Eating Disorder Service Lead at Sage Clinics. And we've got Mum Sarah. Her daughter, 14, is now coming to the end of her treatment for anorexia. Um, and I wanted to ask you, Dr. Victoria, about... So I was just talking there about some of the early signs where, you know, she was concerned as a mum and then other people obviously tuning into some of the things that things weren't quite right. Uh, what next? You know, how do you start to broach conversations, especially with a teenager, um, that you're worried about them? 
So one of the first things to remember is that the person with the eating disorder may not recognise that there's a problem. In fact, it may feel like a good thing for them at that time in their life. They may feel in control, they may be pleased that they're losing weight, um, and they may not want help at this time. So we always want to broach it sensitively. I always say don't talk about it around a meal time. Find another time to talk about it. Bring up your concerns really gently and don't just focus on food. So you may say, I've noticed that you seem sadder than usual. You're spending more time in your room. Um, think about them as the whole person, what's going on for them. Mm-hmm. Now, if you at that stage get a bit of a, an anger response or pushback, don't worry leave it for a couple of days and come back to it. It's often going to take that person a little bit of time to kind of reflect on what you've said. But what we must say is the best thing for eating disorders is to get treatment early. So don't watch and wait. Don't hope that it's going to get better. Um, If your, your friend, your partner, your child is really resistant to treatment, go and see an eating disorder specialist yourself. A lot of the treatment for young people is family therapy. So if you're a parent of a child with an eating disorder, it's going to be great for you to be educated. You can start putting some of that into practice mm. before the clinician even sees your child. Can I ask if it's not too personal a question, Sarah, what did treatment look like for your daughter and, and you know, how did you decide on the right methods for, for you guys as a family? Yeah. Um, so initially, uh, I took her to a psychiatrist, a monthly, and that was our first port of call. Um, and if I could say another thing to parents, it's to be open to med- medication. Um, I think that's been one of the most important things for my daughter. And I don't think she would have got where she is now without it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very resistant to it at the beginning. I thought we could do it without it. Um, and we couldn't have done that at all. It's interesting because I think... Um there's such a stigma around it but you know ultimately yeah. whether we were talking about postnatal depression on the show last week and the psychologist raised an interesting point that it's a tool in order to help someone get into the headspace they need to in order to take the steps to get better which uh, I'm probably really oversimplifying it but no, does that resonate? No absolutely my, one of my friends actually turned to me and said you know if you have a headache you have no qualms about taking a paracetamol mm-hmm. but yet this is your mental health mm-hmm. so important and yet there's such a stigma around it so I think yeah that's a, a good point how is um, she doing now? She's doing really, really well. Um, she actually ran um, ran with me last night and um, she sat down with me afterwards and made a list of points that I should talk about. Oh, good for her. <laughs> Today, I was like, love it. Mm, I don't think we could got that much time. Radio producer <laughs> in the making. Yeah. And she, yeah, she's doing really well. And how really is she well. feeling about the future and how are you feeling about managing this moving forward? Uh, yeah, I, I feel a lot more positive than I did. I mean, it, it takes a lot on the whole family as a, as a whole. That's another thing. Uh, it's not just the individual and you as a parent. It's the, it affects everyone in the family, the mm-hmm. siblings as well. Um, no, but she's looking forward to the future. Good. Um, and I guess last question, um, Sarah, they're talking about going straight to see a psychiatrist. For any parents who are listening, you know, is it going to the family doctor for a referral? Can you go straight to a specialist such as yourself, Victoria? What, what would your advice be there, I guess, on next ports of call? So in the UAE, you can go straight to a specialist. So that's absolutely what I do. And it's really important to see an eating disorder specialist. Um, and they will talk you through. So whether you see a psychiatrist or a psychologist, first of all, they will help you build your team up. So eating disorder treatment is multidisciplinary. You need a psychologist. You need a dietitian. 
You also need a paediatrician or a family doctor. You will need some physical health monitoring. So that's also a really good thing to start really early. And often with young people, we always like to work with the school because obviously we eat in school, we do PE in school. So we want to make sure that we've got everybody on board to make sure that treatment is kind of joined up and going to be the best. Thank you both so, so much. I really do mean it. I think it's hugely important to hear, you know, both from psychologists and we're talking about prevalence, but also that human impacts are in. All the very best to the family moving forward. Thank you so much for your time. Um, if you do want Dr. Victoria's details, you can send me the word doc to 4001. Don't put your name on it, no questions asked. We're happy to send you um, details on the Sage Clinic's website so you can reach out, find out more, some great resources on there as well. This content is for informational purposes only and is not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. This is Afternoons with Helen Farmer on Dubai Eye 103.8. With House and House, 10 years of unlocking opportunities in Dubai real estate. And we are broadcasting live from the lake today because we're celebrating this part of town. We've got the team from House and House today. We've got Joy Eaton and San Robbins with us, the leading consultants in the Emirates living areas. And I want to ask you first, Joy, what comes into that category of when we're talking about neighbourhoods of Emirates living? Where, 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 what can we help with this half hour? I think it would be explaining what you can get and how you, I mean, why it's such a good area. So for families. Which neighbourhoods are we are we including in that category? The springs, the lakes, the meadows. I mean, we do touch a little bit on Emirates Hills, but I think for Emirates living in house and house, we do focus mainly on, you know, we, we deal a lot with families. You've got an easy job. This is a very yeah. nice. This is a very nice place to live. Yeah, it is. What kind of um, interest are we seeing at the minute in this part of town? Whether it's people looking to move into it or move to Dubai? Because these are the names that are always recommended in the mums groups. We're moving to Dubai. Where should we live? People like springs, meadows, lakes. Popular right now. Yeah, very popular. I mean, for for myself, uh, I think uh, whenever I speak to families, especially, um, they always ask where is the best location for our children. And I think uh, location is everything. You've got some of Dubai's best schools. And of course, you've got all the local amenities that the area has to offer. Mm. So the fact that the springs, meadows and the lakes are so geographically well placed to Sheikh Zayed Road, uh, Dubai Marina, um, and also obviously all the uh, amenities um, that the place has to offer. Like reform, where like, we are now, like for reform, example. Exactly. <laughs> um, Joe, you've been working um, in this in house and house for about six years now. And I think one of the most attractive kind of aspects of these neighbourhoods are just how well established they are. You know, there's lovely greenery, you know, Sam's saying there, you know, great schools. Um, when we're talking about demographic, when, especially with sales, is it lots of people who are looking to be owner-occupiers or investors? Is there a split? It is a split now um, because it is a strong market, but I think more for families, again, like Sam said, because you've got everything here within the community, you don't even on a weekend you don't even need to leave the community. You've yep. got communal parks, pools, tennis courts, paddle courts. You've got three town centres, Spring Souk, of which has a cinema, which people don't really know about. You've got mm. salons, you've got schools. I mean, everything is here. So no need to get in the car. People just getting on their bikes. No. And even if you want to, it's five, you drive for five minutes and you're <laughs> yeah. back in the marina. You're on the palm. So yeah. location is just amazing. Which begs the question: Is there any availability right now, Sam? What's the, what, the, <laughs> what, what are the stock levels like in these these neck of the woods? Well, look, in the in the last uh, couple months, we've actually seen a reduction in transaction volume. Um, so for, for for us, obviously working in the area every day, we're seeing 
it's more tightly held, uh, which mm. kind of insinuates families are more settled. Uh, but if you if, exactly, but if you look over the last 12 months, for example, you'll notice that there is strong growth, uh, especially in the prices being achieved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but demand uh, with people, the influx coming into Dubai, everyone goes, where should I move? As I said earlier, my family. And I think location being the number one driver for that, they always gravitate towards Emirates Living. Yeah, I get it. We've had questions galore coming in for you guys. We've got Joy and Sam with us from House and House. We're going to be talking to Dan from Carney Store after half past as we talk about hops on the lake and some of the barbecues. Um, Kimmy's saying, we've got a little Airbnb in the lakes. It's great for families visiting Dubai who don't wish to stay in a hotel. I'm happy to share. It's, it's thelakehousevilla.com. I wish I'd known this three weeks ago when my in-laws were planning their trip here. What about that as, a, as an option in terms of buying um, as an investment for short-term rentals as well as those long-term, Sam? Is that something you've seen some, some resonance with as well? Yeah, look, I think short, short-term leasing is something, especially house and house, are extremely busy with. Uh, people that you know visit Dubai on a regular basis with a family, a hotel can be a little bit too much and, of course, very costly. Uh, so from an economical point of view and also just relaxing and enjoying the lifestyle, um, you know, what, what an amazing area to move into for a few weeks with the family before even maybe potentially buying. It might be a good first yeah, time. Test uh, the waters. Test the waters, exactly. We've got questions on timing the market. We've got questions about permissions. Jamie's being in touch. We're going to come to this next. Are there better times of the year to look to buy when people leave or sell? We're new to Dubai, trying to get a feel. Jamie, we're coming to your message next. This is Afternoons with Helen Farmer on Dubai Eye 103.8. With House and House, 10 years of unlocking opportunities in Dubai real estate. We've got the leading consultants in the Emirates living part of town. We're talking springs, meadows, lakes as we broadcast live from Reform Social Grill. Joy Eaton, San Robbins with us today, taking your questions. We are going to go to the text line. Before we do that, though, I want to ask you, Joy, what do we need to know from an investor point of view? about short-term versus longer-term rentals? What are you seeing with clients in the market? It's definitely a question that's asked more now from investors. What should I do? Should I, you know, should I put it on short-term or rent it out long-term? I think one of the pros to short-term rental is the fact that you, you then don't have to serve the 12 months notice, the flexibility within having the property back if you would then want to sell it again, and the the market's so strong for short-term within the area. What would you define as short-term? Is that like, you know, we had Kimmy message about her Airbnb, so a week, or what would be the top top level? Would people renew month by month? Yeah, so with House & House, the short-term team is so successful. So they've, I mean, I referred a, a property over about 18 months ago, and it's been rented ever since from a pilot. Mm-hmm. So with House & House, they're very selective on, you know, the, the clientele. I think Air, that's the difference with Airbnb. But I think as a community, again, it's for families. Got any questions for the guys? Get in touch. No name on this one saying, isn't Jumeirah Village Triangle a great cheaper option to Emirates Living in the same vicinity? What say you, Sam? Yeah, I think so. I think it's, I mean, it's around the corner pretty much. Literally at the back. Yeah, yeah. Behind, behind the springs. Um, and look, if you, if you have got a budget that you're working with, um, but you want uh, more accommodation, then your, your money goes a lot further in, in JBT. We've had a couple of questions that are in a similar vein. Jamie saying, are there better, quote unquote, uh, times of the year to look to buy, e.g. when people are leaving or selling. We're new to Dubai and trying to get feel. Mm. And in a similar vein, a message here saying, is there a best time to sell a property to get the maximum return? Let's talk about the first one. You know, are there times of year, um, you know, in your experiences where there is more stock coming on the market? I think uh, in the last 12 months, we have seen massive changes and, and it, it's becoming less of a trend when it comes to when is the best time to mm. buy and transact property. I think in previous years, it was a lot more common for the summer to slow down. 
uh, due to the heat and people would leave Dubai. But in in the last uh, in the last twelve months, the summer was really busy for for some of the guys in the office. So it's not not a fun time to be house hunting in a suit. It's not really no. <laughs> Luckily, you're allowed to wear polos. <laughs> Try doing it when you're actually an agent in a vacant villa. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Yeah. There's no the AC, AC on, you and it's hotter <laughs> upstairs than it is down. <laughs> so in your six years, then have you noticed any yeah. patterns, and or is 2024 kind of throwing the rule book out of the window when it comes to timings? Yeah, I think so. Like Sam said, I think the last couple of years has just been so strong in terms of the market increasing. I think we get asked that question quite a lot. When is the best time to buy and sell? And I just think if you're looking to buy for your family, just buy when you're ready. Just mm-hmm. buy when you want to buy. Yeah. Um, it's so hard to say when the right time is to buy. We don't. We also get asked the question of what will happen with the market. To be honest, I mean, it, no none of us nice know. To know, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, um, we all we all hope we had that crystal ball, but it, it is impossible. And as as Joy rightly said, if you're if you're in the market looking to buy, as long as you've got everything in in line, I would I would go ahead a bit. Crack on. Yeah. Um, Iman saying, what kind of restrictions or permissions do you need to know about if you're renovating in the meadows, e.g., painting the villa, putting in a pool? I mean, a lot of people, a lot of these villas have been owner occupied for a long time. Um, and then looking to sell people coming in and maybe doing work for, you know, for the first time in a long time. What kind of permissions do you need to get? Well, in terms of extensions, you would need to get an NRC from EMA. EMA, are, I mean, they're the strongest developer within Dubai, um, especially for residential. So applying to the NRC is a very easy process. Yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't not far from the first. No, exactly. Um, but over the last couple of years, it has a change in terms of extensions and how much you can extend. So we would advise that you would speak to EMA before wanting to extend just to find out how much you can and can, can't not. Or uh, us. Yeah. Last question to you, Sam. Are there any bargains to be had right now? Have you got anything <laughs> on the books you're like, oh, I'm surprised that this is sticking around? Well, look, there, there is always a deal in quotations. But as I said, it's so difficult to find the deal. Everybody wants to buy at the bottom and everybody wants to sell at the top of the market. Lovely, and, wouldn't it? and it is impossible. But look, we, we obviously see the deals. And I think that's the benefit with contacting an agent like Joy and myself, mm-hmm. where we have access to off-market properties, which is a whole different subject, but it's it's properties that not necessarily are visible on the marketplace, mm-hmm. um, where owners might be wanting to deal with us exclusively and wanting to get it closed without the need for marketing. Those sort of things do happen, but in a market like this, I think most uh, sellers are wanting to achieve the premium. And, th- and properties are not hanging around. So thank you for making the time, guys. I know how busy you are. Thank you so, so much. Joy, Pleasure. Sam, with your permission, if people want to get in touch with the Wood House, can I share your website details, contact details? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yes, We're on the yeah. socials. Amazing. Uh, we've had Joy and Sam with us from House and House. They are the leading consultants in the Emirates Living neighbourhood. We are broadcasting live from Reform. And the man manning the grills this weekend, taking some time out of his very busy schedule. We've got Dan from Carnestore here. How are you? Yeah, I'm well, Helen. How are you? Yeah, you ba- you live in the lakes and you're basically here at Form all the time. This is like your second home. Um, tell us a little bit about the origin story to Carnestore, if you don't mind. Where did it begin, I guess, from the business point of view, but maybe for you in your journey into meat? So it, it began for me... Actually, when I was uh, in my early 20s, I just loved to barbecue. So uh, basically, grilling is a passion for me. That thing that you do, whatever it is that you want to do with your downtime, whatever hobby it is, for me, it's grilling. 
do you get into that state of flow? Like artists and chefs talk about flow a lot, where you lose all sense of time. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm one of those guys. I can do like an eight, ten hour cook. Stop you know, it. Start in the morning, low and slow brisket. Have a few beverages while I'm waiting. It's just, it's beautiful for me. Okay, so here's a question: When do you go from you know, grilling is my passion, my hobby into this is something I want to basically make my life work. What was that? What was that kind of crossroads, that tripping point? Well, there are a few things. I think it's when you're miserable in a corporate job and uh, you're just sitting there and you're like, why did, why did I? I was an engineer. And again, sitting on project sites, I'm like, why, why am I doing this? Mm. And I think my wife saw how miserable I was and she was just like, hey, why don't you do an MBA and see if you could segue into something else, consulting perhaps or whatever it is. So that that's how it happened. Consulting as such has turned into, I mean, catering, a space in El Sacal, residency here a lot of the year as well. What did success look like for Carnestore when you first started out? Oh, it's funny. When I first started out, uh, I had very low expectations. Uh-huh. Uh, and we had <laughs> what every wife wants to hear <laughs> when you've taken a career I d- break. I didn't tell her that, you know, but uh, very low expectations. And I had a number in mind. I want to, you know, make this much. That'll kind of break even and then pay me a little salary and, and, and that kind of thing. For me, it was more about the freedom of actually being able to do something that I love while making a living from it. So it was it was very humble at the beginning, and, and I never imagined that... Uh, it's funny, we started out in 2018. We were the only ones selling meat online at the time, or premium meat online, and people thought I was crazy. I mean, my own parents were like, who, who is going to buy well, meat online? Well, that's what I was going to say. How did you establish there was a market? Because this is the danger of, of kind of a big pivot like that is... You know, friends and family want to support you. Like, they want you to, to be happy. What kind of research did you do in terms of who was going to buy this? Yeah, so I think I, I, being an engineer, I, it was the numbers were very important for me. So putting a business plan together, but also getting the understanding of what does the meat industry look like in the UAE. And the UAE is in the, in the 98th percentile of meat consumption globally. I'm kind, so. of, I'm kind of proud. <laughs> <laughs> I am too. I don't know if we should be right now, but I, I very much am. And and that that kind of propelled me to be like, okay, there's a market here. Mm-hmm. There's a, and, and then doing all these barbecues for my friends and coming over and, and, and tell, encouraging me like, Dan, you need to sell this. This is good. What so what back then? Yeah. Actually, to this day, because I'm sh- I know you you're consistent with your skills and your and your produce. What do you feel is like the jewel in your culinary crown that people just go crazy for? It's it's the burger. Yeah, yeah. it's the burger. So what makes it special? Uh, I think there's a lot of love put into every element of it. So so definitely the meat. Of course, the meat has to be ground fresh on the same day. But the bun, the bun is so important. You know, then that's a, that's a big part of it. Uh, the cheese, bringing it together, the right sauces make a good burger. Mm-hmm. Not too much. But all of that, I know you're hungry right now. I know. I'm, I, I'm, I'm genuinely worried people are going to hear my tummy rumbling. Yeah. I had some toast and spaghetti hoops at half past 11 this morning. Oh, no. I know. I'm uh. feeling a bit sorry for myself. I had my comfort food, and I'm like, well, that was a terrible idea. I'll, I'll just have one of the Dan kids. Later. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to eat kids' food. Yeah. So the burger, you're going to be grilling this weekend at Hops on the Lake? Yep, absolutely. All right. Dan from Carnestore with us. We're going to be talking about barbecue season. What is going to be on the grills this weekend? From engineer to king of the grill, Dan from Carney Store is with us today. He is going to be there this weekend for Hops on the Lake. Just talking there about your famed burgers. Uh, The brisket, when I came for your barbecue brunch a few weekends ago, that's what we were all talking about. Don't take this the wrong way. The power of a good side. Do not underestimate. Absolutely. So if someone's grilling at home, what what do you like to have on the side? Well, it depends on who's there. A lot of times when it's kids and their, their, their palates are very sensitive, then it's like a, a good mac and cheese. Mm. But they also need some vegetables. So I like to make a nice creamed spinach or something like that. Um, that's good. 
But yeah, the, the sides are equally important. I think my favorite side would have to be like a rosemary roast potato, like lots of olive oil, that, that kind good. of thing. Yeah. What's your barbecue setup like at home? Oh, you don't, you don't want to. Uh, I think my wife is going to divorce me pretty soon <laughs> if I get another one. But basically, uh, so I have a smoker. I have a, a, a charcoal grill. I have a gas grill. I have a flat top. Uh, um, and still so he keeps going. <laughs> but for anyone listening today and they're like, actually, do you know what? I would quite like to get into this. Is there an essential bit of kit that you always recommend to people who want to yes. kind of dip their toes into grilling yes. and smoking? Yes. I always recommend uh, the Weber Spirit 2 as a good first grill. Uh, it is a gas grill, but it's absolutely fine. It's the one that kind of gets you started. The one that makes you learn, lets you learn easily mm-hmm. how to grill a steak. It's forgiving. Get on YouTube or get on our website. We have we have uh, videos, plenty of videos on our Instagram as well, showing you kind of how to get started, how to do it. And for it not to be intimidating, a lot of people want to cook for their loved one who loves a good, a good meal, but they're very intimidated by the idea of a grill. But uh, for me, there's nothing better. Outdoors, grilling, open fire. I mean, the weather is absolutely incredible. This weekend's going to be brilliant. So you mentioned the burgers before. What else are you going to be serving up this weekend at Hops on the Lake? Yeah, so it's all of our uh, popular dishes we're doing. The burgers and the hot dogs, are, the Angus hot dogs are brilliant. Um, they're great. But then we also have a barbecue platter, a platter for one and a platter for two. And it is very generous. I would, <laughs> I, would, I would be able to say that even the platter for one, two can easily share it. What's there on are it? six items on there. There's our famous brisket. There are the Korean flank and short ribs, which Yum. are my personal favorite. Uh, there's miso chicken skewers. Uh, there's also some sliders and a hot dog as well. There's a lot of stuff all in one plate. So it's Here brilliant. come the meat sweats. Look out vegetarians. <laughs> Sounds pretty, pretty divine. Um, and Dan, as we go into Ramadan, you know, you do an awful lot. And we've met at a few events where... Um, you've been there, you know, serving up chat and serving up brisket. Um, what are the Ramadan plans? Is there going to be some at-home catering? Or are you expecting lots of people to be buying through the website and paying you a visit Al Sakal as well? Yeah, I, th- I think we'll have a lot more walk-ins at Al Sakal. We definitely, uh, we get a lot more deliveries around iftar timing um, and a lot more lamb. So it's, it's funny because this year actually uh, Ramadan and, uh, and Easter are, are coinciding. So you've got lamb for, for both of those. I mean, people, people love lamb on that. So the lamb leg, the lamb shoulder, we do a good ready-made shoulder meal that's just pulled shoulder or, or shanks as well. Sorry, how, long, how far in advance would one hypothetically need to order that? It's a 24 hours. So it comes on, our spiced, on a bed of our spiced rice, which is beautiful. Uh, and then the lamb that's been slow cooked for six hours just goes on top and it just pulls apart, fork tender, and it's a great meal. Comes with our chimichurri as well. Fork tender. Yeah. I am stealing that phrase. Fork tender, um, yeah. Would you mind just lastly explaining a little bit about the Al Sakal space? Because you walk in and it's like, there's a gallery here, there's a beautiful rug shop there, and then you're like, we're, in a, we're in a meat <laughs> boutique. Yeah. So what do people need to know? Um, so basically, yeah, it, it is a more customer-friendly uh, focus because we were an online brand, but we also always wanted to engage with our customers mm-hmm. more. So uh, when a space became available or, you know, we, we were lucky enough that... Um, you were invited. Probably. We were invited, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> um, we, we had to snatch it snatch it by the horns. And then, so we, we made a front of house where we have free bone broth. Anyone can come in and instead of a cup of coffee, you just have a cup of bone broth. Love it. Yeah, there's a little library of little meat books that you can educate yourself on, a touchscreen where you can order and just relax. You know, like a working space pretty much. So it's nice. Dan, thank you so much. Really love to hear a little bit more about you. And if people want to meet you, come down this weekend, hops on the lake. Um, you're going to be serving up, my goodness, the barbecue platter. Yes, please. Dan, where can people find you, follow you? Uh, they can find us on Instagram. Just search up Carney Store. Search up Steak on Google and you'll find us everywhere. So oh, someone's enough. doing their good SEO work. Thank you so, so much. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it.
And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.